0: Praise God. It is well with our souls. Even when life gets difficult, when life throws us a curveball, we can celebrate the fact that God is good and that he, we know that in faith he will see us through those difficult times. In many ways, that's the joy of being able to be a part of a faith community, uh, being a part of a church, is that uh, we have other people who can testify to the goodness of God through hard times, even when maybe we're not feeling it. And as we uh, wrap up our series in looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, where we're, we're looking to Scripture to see the pattern of how the Holy Spirit prompted the early Christians to, to come together together. Uh, to do life together, to, to live in community. We're going to see this morning how important it is uh, that we share those stories of where God has worked in our lives, where God is at work, so that we can lift up the faith of one another and that we can share the good news that even though life is hard, God is good. Amen? Amen. We've been saying that our new invitation as a church that you see printed on your bulletins this morning is this idea to come and grow with us because we want to be a church That is reaching out, that connects with new people, that that is a blessing in our community, and and, and that ultimately sees more and more people coming to a new faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's part of what the Bible says is our calling as a church. That's one of the reasons why. We exist, yet we also have said that included in this invitation, if we pay attention closely, is the prior assumption that we ourselves are growing in our faith, right? It's come and grow with us. And so we cannot grow as a church unless and until we are focusing in on how do we develop and grow the people who are already here. Discipleship isn't just evangelism, it's also leadership development. It's how we grow through a lifetime of our commitment to follow Jesus as his disciples. And if we're not growing, then we're not really having something that we're inviting people into other than maybe a a worship service on Sunday morning. But but I think what we see in the story of Acts chapter 2 is that the invitation to Christian community, to be a part of church, to become a follower of Jesus is so much more than just attending church on Sunday morning. The premise of this series that we've had is that this shared lifestyle of these early Christians that we see emerging in Acts chapter 2 was not some random or accidental pattern of life, but was a response to the presence and the power of the Spirit of Christ that he poured out on those early believers and prompted them to live out of the heart of God for one another. So we're going to read those verses 42 to 47 again. We've talked about how there are kind of pairs of verses here, but today we're going to focus in on the last two verses, uh, verses 46 and 47. But I'd like to read the whole uh, section for us again. It says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the result was that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and the result was that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and the result was that praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Would you pray with me one more time and ask God to bless are looking into his word this morning. God, we ask for your spirit to be upon us and for these words to sink deep into our hearts and into our minds to illuminate for us how you are calling us forward as your people in our day, in our time, and in our place. God, we need your spirit to to set us on a new path so that we can live into the calling we have as followers of Jesus and that we can live out this life that you've given us together as a faith community because we know from your word, God, that, that as we live out this pattern of life as a church, we not only experience your blessing in the ways that you've promised, but we know that you make us to be a blessing for one another and for the world around us. God, we pray that you would show up in our lives again, today and in the days ahead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In the first week, we introduced the acronym GROW, which is just a a way to help us remember the things that these early Christians devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we said is essentially God's word. The Bible has been the the, the culmination of the apostles' teaching about what Jesus taught and and, and how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and then how they applied that in their life as a church. And so that's been captured for us in the Bible Uh, Uh, relationships so they gave themselves to the fellowship of of believers so they they learned how to live in relationship well that led to outward action we talked about how the breaking of bread which is a a, another way of talking about communion was also a sign for them not only of the broken body and the shed blood of Christ which reminds us that we all come to God on equal footing and, and that it's all by his grace that we've been saved but that as followers of Jesus, we too are called to be broken bread for, for others. We too are called to live a life of sacrificial generosity as a sign of God's good news at work among us. And so, so the broken bread is this outward action of how it's not just me and Jesus right but it's because i have jesus in my heart because i have god in my life god wants me to be broken bread for you for others and for the world around us which ultimately leads to a lifestyle of worship they devoted themselves to prayer which we said is more than just blessing the meal right i mean blessing the meal is good but this idea of engaging with god in an ongoing way that that relationship with god isn't just us talking to god and hoping that he's going to respond it's a it's a dialogue it's a conversation And God speaks to us through his word and through his spirit. And if we have ears to hear, as Jesus said, God will show up for us in some amazing and powerful ways. And we've talked about how as we also learn to devote ourselves to these core elements of Christian community, we believe that we will see the same kinds of results that these early Christians experienced, right? What was the result? We saw it in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. God showed up. And if you look at the stories of how people's lives were impacted, people found healing and wholeness through their relationship with Christ. Miracles happened. Hearts were transformed. Enemies became friends. Strangers became family. And the church grew. And, and, and I would suggest, I don't know how you feel, I, I, I want to include you in this because I want to say here at Faith Covenant Church, we, we want God to show up, don't we? I want God to show up. I want to be able to go, praise God, that wasn't me. You know, that, that's evidence of the spirit at work in our lives transforming people from the inside out. Because I think when God shows up, other people become attracted to that spiritual power that is at work that can only happen in the midst of shared Christian community. That's our hope at Faith Covenant Church. It's not about how good we are, it's about how good God is, and we want to see God show up. So this morning, I'd like to just zero in on the last two verses, uh, verses 46 and 47 of chapter 2, where, again, it said, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, I'd like to suggest that what we see here is a a rhythm to life, a rhythm between uh, worship in the temple and, and, and worship in the home. Because these early Christ followers still considered themselves to be good Jewish believers, right, like Jesus did, they continued to go and worship in the temple They saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament laws and prophets, not as starting some new and different religion. So so they continued to gather in the temple courts where they had regular times of prayer each day. So you could go in the morning for morning prayers or you could go in the evening for evening prayers. You could gather in the courts and you could hear uh, teaching and and, and speaking. And so it was a part of their corporate worship life that they continued to be a part of. it was a natural rhythm for them. at least if you lived near the temple in Jerusalem, right? So so scholars suggest that, that we shouldn't fall victim to the temptation to think that as we read this, they gave up their nine to five lives, they devoted themselves to living in the temple and in each other's homes and they just ate together and didn't have jobs and didn't have work and didn't have all of the other things that we have to face, right? That's not what's going on here. Although we also recognize that in times of spiritual revival, there's more impetus for people to gather more frequently, so, so, in this new newness of life in Christ, they, they may have more frequently gathered together to celebrate the intensity of what was happening and to talk about what was going on in their lives. But in every revival, that, that ultimately kind of tones itself down into a more sustainable rhythm, right? And, and we see that rhythm beginning to show itself here of, of corporate worship and then time together in the homes. In the biblical account, we know that the temple gatherings eventually faded from view as the church spread outside of Jerusalem to the rest of the known world where there was no temple and spread to non-Jewish believers, and ultimately in AD 70, the Romans destroyed the temple and it became kind of a non-issue, right? Right? But it's this sense of of rhythm that that gave a pattern to life corporately, that that allowed people to experience life as as part of a larger movement of Jesus' followers, but to have it be a deeply personal experience as well. And I'd like to suggest for us that, that we see the same value in our experience of church today. As we come together to worship on Sunday morning, to gather with God's people, we're reminded that we're a part of something larger than ourselves right? That, that, that this faith isn't just my faith. It's a faith of a, a community of people that we've called to come together to celebrate what God is doing in our lives and in our careers and in our families. But, but we can't know intimately and personally everybody who's in this room, much less everybody who attends our church. We're not even all here on the same Sunday, right? So as part of smaller home gatherings or Starbucks gatherings or, or, or Brank's barbecue gatherings, it really doesn't matter where we gather, right? But smaller gatherings of people where we get to know one another at a more intimate and personal level becomes an essential part of understanding that, that this Christian life is not just something we're a part of as a large movement, but it's deeply personal to each one of us, and we're not alone on that journey. There are friends who God will bring into our lives to walk with us and to share the joys and the sorrows of life. And the reality is that we need both. In order to grow in our own lives spiritually, we need to be a part of something larger than ourselves, and we need to be a part of something that's intimately personal to us. If we don't have both of those, we can get off track in one way or another. And I'd like to suggest for us as a, as a larger church, we need to be ensuring that we're providing both of those experiences for you and for the new people who would come, because that's a part of how God draws people to a relationship with Jesus as they get to taste and see the truth of his word lived out in both large and small ways. It says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Isn't that a fun phrase? They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. As we've mentioned regarding before, that the breaking of bread had this dual meaning. Yes, they broke bread in communion as a remembrance of Jesus, but for them, it was a full meal deal. I mean, they actually had the feast, right? In fact, later on, they actually called it a love feast. They'd get together to, to love on one another, and they would feast around the table. And as they were doing this, where did this come from? It came from Jesus, right? Wasn't this Jesus pattern? Jesus loved to party, In fact, he loved a party so much that that the religious people call him a glutton and a drunkard, you know? But but he loved to feast with people because for Jesus, it was a sign of the joy of God's kingdom that was breaking into this world. And that our call to follow him and to, to love God was to learn how to love one another well. Because he said, as we love one another well, we're fulfilling the commitment to love God. Because the vertical relationship with God is only lived out in our horizontal relationships with one another or not at all. Eating together with glad and sincere hearts was an important description of the early Christian's experience of the Christian faith. By eating together around the table and sharing that kind of fellowship, it lifted their burdens, it lightened their load, it made them uh, more happy about life. It wasn't that they didn't have any problems, right? It was that they knew that they were in it together and that God was at work in their lives. The word sincere can mean devoted or the absence of pretense or simplicity and generosity. And One commentary I I read suggests that we we might not know the exact meaning intended by Luke here, but but overall it describes an open-hearted attitude toward one another. And think about that. It's an open-hearted attitude toward one another. How often do you go through life, if you're like me, where, where, where you live more closed-hearted? You, you live more guarded, right? You're kind of always keeping people at arm's length, not really letting people know what's really going on on the inside because we're afraid that people might not accept us or we might be ashamed of what we're struggling with because we're not perfect. There's this open-hearted fellowship that they experienced was, was sincere sincere. sincere. It was without pretense. It was, hey, here I am. I'm coming as I am with my mess and everything. And you know what? That's okay, because Jesus has forgiven me. He loved me just as I am. And so we now have the freedom to live that way with one another. There's no pretense or performance mentality in the way of believers' behavior with one another, so their joy comes out of the heart. With people not having to try and impress anyone, they were able to learn how to truly enjoy one another. Now, now think about it this way for a minute. This This is the fun part for me. Food and fellowship was a form of worship right? Think about it. Food and fellowship was a form of worship. But how often do we get to experience worship in, in the, in the kind of everyday organic context of food and fellowship around a table? I mean, we know we enjoy it, but do we, do we consciously think about when we're doing that together, we're actually worshiping God? And that the, the Spirit of God might be powerfully present in that moment just as much as it can be here on Sunday morning when we gather as the large church in a sanctuary? I mean, even the risen Christ made himself known to his disciples around the table, right? In the breaking of bread and in the shared meal, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. Fellowship around the table became the hallmark of the Christian church. That was what was uniquely different about every other faith in their time. People from different classes and different races and and, and different ethnicities gathering around the table as equals, sharing table fellowship and enjoying one another immensely. Is it no wonder that the world around them gave them their favor and said, what have they found that we are missing? See, in doing so, they were following Jesus' example, who enjoyed his meals and his parties and broke the stereotype that a religious person in whose presence others weren't supposed to have fun wasn't what he was about. See, Jesus focused on fellowship and the joy of life and the good news that God's love could transform all of our brokenness and our pain. Food and fellowship was a form of worship that led to what? Praise of God. God was praised as a result of making our time of having food and fellowship a time of worship. See, when we get together as Christians, it's not just to have fun, but it's to focus on God together. Because when we get together and we focus on God around the table, we start to share the stories of where God is at work in our lives. And as a result, God is praised through the testimony of where we see God working. And as we share our testimony of where God's working in our lives, you know what? Other people get encouraged. Because they know that what they're going through isn't that different from what you've been through and so they think that God may be able to work in their life as well. See, it's in fellowship and around the table that our hearts are lifted and they're gladdened as we share these stories of God at work in our life. And isn't that the pattern we see in the Bible? That so much of the Bible is about reminding us of what God has already done, where God has proven himself faithful, where he's rescued his people. And as we share our stories of God's provision in our life, we're carrying on the tradition of the Bible and the faith community of bringing praise to God because he's a God of love and faithfulness in our lives. Amen? And isn't that really where discipleship begins, right? It's, it's not about us having to be perfect or having to figure it all out in our lives, but it's about how God's faithfulness continues to call us forward, to put our trust in him and to allow him to transform our lives from the inside. I love this quote that I found. It said, it said Praise is the factor that lifts the spirits of people who live under pressure because of the challenges they face in life. Isn't that good? Praise... It is the factor that lifts people's spirits who live under pressure because of the challenges they face in our lives. Our sharing of our stories of God is actually a blessing to people who live under pressure because they come into an environment where God is the focus, and it's not about my preferences or my wants, but, but, but Jesus is the one who we've come to celebrate, and it reminds them of the eternal realities that go beyond our daily challenges And they receive a spiritual lift so that they too can praise God no matter what's going on in their lives. I saw this firsthand in one small experience that I had when I was doing uh, youth ministry. I took over the youth program at Foothill Covenant Church in Northern California, and, and we had just, you know, a handful of kids who were really committed to the group, and we didn't really know what to do with them because we didn't have enough to do, like, the big fancy rah-rah programming, uh, and, but these kids were there, and they wanted to grow, and, and so what we did is we had them come, and we said, you know, hacky sacks were big at the time. You guys you know, remember hacky sacks, that little beanbag thing that they would come to do soccer, kicking around. So we had a hacky sack, and, and so we started every week by getting together, and whoever had the hacky sack had the, the, the freedom to talk, right? That was the, the talking bag. And, and you could share, where have you seen God this week in your life? And, and you could share it, and if you didn't have anything, you didn't have to. And then you could choose. You throw it to another person, and whoever got the, the hacky sack would then share. Well, when we started, you know, where have you seen God at work? You know, these are, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids. Boom. They're like, I don't know. <laughs> right? So they throw it to me, it's like, well, you know, I, I saw God in, in, in work in my relationship with Tammy, because we got in this terrible fight this week, and, you know, I, I went away, and I was so angry, and I recognized, you know what, that was my fault, and I had to go back and, and just say, you know what, forgive me. And, and that was God speaking to me about, you know, my own selfishness. Oh. And and, and the other leaders would share something personal about their lives. And the more the the kids began to hear the stories of where we saw God at work in our lives, where we heard the voice of the Spirit speaking to us, where, where God spoke to us out of his word, and we shared a verse that really spoke to us, they began to see and understand how God works in a person's life. And you know what they began to share? Where they saw God showing up. And it was amazing to see these young teenagers begin to grow in their own awareness of of a living personal relationship with God who wasn't just a theory out there, but they saw his hand at work in their lives because of their experience of a smaller community of people praising God for the ways that he was working in our lives. See, such a fresh and powerful community life won the admiration of people outside the church. People could see the difference in the lives of these Christians, and they liked what they saw. Now, we also know that for as many people who looked on these early Christians with favor, there'd also be a growing opposition to Christianity too, right? So we can't fool ourselves that thinking that living into the Christian lifestyle is somehow going to make the world around us love us all the more. Sometimes even those who admire the life of Christians come to realize the implications of the Christian message, right? That the Lordship of Christ ultimately calls into question all of our other loyalties and demands that we make a decision for or against Christ as the Lord of our lives. Yet we also know that it was the attractiveness of the experience of relationship and community that was the key factor in the church growth as the Spirit led. So here's a, a, one clarifying principle that I'd love for us to take away from this morning, but also from this series. In the same way that food and fellowship is a form of worship, hospitality is discipleship in action. Hospitality is discipleship in action. We've been talking for over a year now about needing to have a discipleship pathway and wanting to make sure that we're growing the people who are already here in order to have a place to invite new people into. Well, I think what we can learn from the story in Acts chapter two is that as we practice genuine Christian hospitality, as we invite people into our lives, discipleship happens through the power of the Spirit as we focus our lives on serving God together. Can we see how in our modern 21st century experience of church that we can miss the whole hospitality piece of discipleship if we focus on having to have a class or a program or just get people enough information, but we're not putting them into a context where they're seeing it and experiencing it lived out in real life interrelationship, we aren't going to grow in our faith. And if we're not experiencing that together as a part of Faith Covenant Church today, we don't have something to invite new people into. And that's a a huge risk factor that I want us to be aware of, and we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. As a key part of our growing in our faith, we need to be ensuring that we are putting ourselves into the context of smaller discipleship relationships where it becomes deeply personal for us. Wherever the church has experienced revival and growth, we know that it's been through experiences of people meeting in homes or outside of the Sunday morning experience. And you can look around the world to Korea or South America or especially in China. And if you look at the growth of the house church in China through the 20th century, it was the largest church growth movement that we've seen numerically. And it was at a time when meeting as Christians was illegal. But it was through meeting in homes and having that real-life experience of a lived faith that transformed an an entire community of people in many places around the world. Here's one of the challenges that I I think we need to be honest with ourselves about, too, because I think in our Western uh, Protestant uh, history, we have this expectation that somehow we're supposed to be perfect and have it all together, and that if there's any cracks or challenges we have, that that's a a shameful thing, And, and so we have to hide those aspects of our lives. Sometimes inviting people into the messiness of our lives, which is really what hospitality is all about, is just too scary for us to consider, right? And yet, is it possible that inviting people into the messiness of our lives is the very gift that people are needing? Because if we're inviting them into the perfection of our lives, which is an illusion, right? Are we we really teaching them that it's okay to not be okay? Karen Burton Maines, who's a pastor's wife, once wrote that true hospitality has nothing to do with impressing people, but everything to do with making them feel welcome and wanted. True hospitality has nothing to do with impressing people, but everything to do with making them feel welcome and wanted. She held many church activities in her home as a pastor's wife, and she tells the story one time of how she didn't have time to clean up her house before someone was coming over for an appointment, and so she had to just kind of open the door and let this person into the mess of her house, and here's how she says it. She says, hospitality before pride, I reminded myself dismally. Determined, I welcomed the woman with warmth, invited her into the unsightly rooms of my house, and refused to embarrass her with apologies. I consciously let go of my pride. And the visitor's response amazed her. I used to think you were perfect, she said. (laughs) But now I think we can be friends. Right? I used to think you were perfect, but now I think we can be friends. Men and women, how often do we have this experience where the culture around us somehow thinks that we're supposed to be perfect? But because in our our perfection, they don't feel like we have anything in common and, and, and there's no way that we can even be friends. How can we learn from Acts 2, 42 to 47, to focus on making people feel genuinely welcome and wanted, not just in church on Sunday morning, but in our living rooms and and, and around the Starbucks coffee table and and doing the things that we love to do in life? How do we create a hospitality environment in our lives that actually invites people into genuine Christian community and not just a church on Sunday morning? And here, here's the challenge to all of this where I, I think it's really important for us to be honest about this as well. We talk about the importance of being a church that makes disciples, right? We know that the call of Jesus on his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I commanded is why the church has been formed. That's the mission that he's given us, and we know that, and we acknowledge that from Scripture. But but the question I have for us, and, and this is a suspicion that I felt not only for our church but for many churches in America today, are we really prepared to receive new believers into our community. Because I I honestly believe if we're not ready, God's not going to bring them. Because the last thing he wants to do is bring a a brand new baby Christian into an experience of community that isn't an Acts 2.42 experience, right? Because what's going to happen? They're going to become disillusioned. They're going to think, well, that's not what what I thought this was all about. We're not going to be able to disciple them in the way that God wants them to be discipled. So so God's not going to bring them. And yet on the opposite of that, I think that God is at work in the lives of people who are not Christians who don't go to church every day. And at the drop of a hat, we see this in Acts chapter 2, God could bring 3,000 people to our church who become new Christians tomorrow if he wanted to. God could do that, right? So why doesn't God do that? If he did, would we be ready? I wouldn't be ready. (laughs) I don't think we would be. And so, so here's the challenge, is, is if we really want to live into the mission that God has given us to, to be a place that, that, that invites people to come and grow with us, how do we ensure that we're living a lifestyle that is ready to welcome people so that they can be discipled and they can grow in their faith? And I think Acts chapter 2 gives us a very simple pattern for how we do that. It's less of a program and it's more of a lifestyle. Ajith Fernando, who wrote a commentary on the book of Acts and worked for Youth for Christ for many years, uh, said, Experience in evangelistic ministry shows that during the first few days after a commitment has been made to Christ, Satan will do all he can to ensnare a new believer into his traps. They will face doubts, be tempted to sin, and experience guilt and shame when they do. Then they will face persecution and ridicule. They will be shocked and disillusioned by the behavior of other Christians and can become discouraged with God since he doesn't seem to answer their prayers. In these and many other ways, they may easily stumble and fall away. Thus, like newborn babies, new believers need special care during the first few days of their spiritual life. Usually, however, there's no intentional place in most churches to be able to care for new believers. We need like a a, a neonatal center, right? That's ready to to, to put people on life support and to protect them from the hazards of their environment. Because we know that, that, that Satan would love nothing more than to steal the joy of those people who are coming to newness of faith. John Wesley, who is, you know, one of the most famous evangelists uh, in, in the modern age, considered this so important that he's reported have said, I determined not to strike in one place where I could not follow the blow, right? If he wasn't prepared to, to take on those new believers and to nurture them in their faith and to actually disciple them to a place of safety and maturity in their lives, he wasn't even going to start. And, and the organized system that he developed To conserve the fruit of his ministry is considered one of the secrets of the long-term effectiveness of the whole Wesleyan revival. The reality for us men and women this morning is that Christian community is is where we get together not only because it's a vital part about how we grow, but because it's a part of how we help others grow. See, each person is invited to be a vital part of the body of Christ, the Apostle Paul teaches us, and we're to be engaged in fellowship with one another. And if we are not engaging in fellowship in the kinds of uh, relationships that we're seeing in Acts chapter 2, not only are we missing the opportunity to grow ourselves, but we're limiting God's ability to use us to help others grow in their own discipleship. Are we truly prepared to receive new believers? Are we truly prepared to to live this kind of community with one another? I believe that God will bring people to our church and that we will celebrate the joy of their new faith in Christ if we're prepared to begin to learn together how to practice the kind of hospitality that we see here in Acts chapter 2. Because it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? We talked about this on the first week. It, it wasn't a church growth strategy that somehow the people were good enough and they did it right so that people were attracted enough to grow. The Lord brought those people. It's the power the Spirit of God to transform people's hearts and lives. And it was the Lord that added to their number daily those who were being saved. It wasn't either or, it was a both and. It wasn't just the preaching of the apostles, but it was the lifestyle of the Christians. Their devotion to live in fellowship in this way became the very vehicle for new believers to come to faith in Christ. These all worked together as the lifestyle of the church that was empowered by the spirit of Christ in their midst. The apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, verses six and seven. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, But God made it grow, right? So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Men and women, we have a God who wants to make things grow. We have a God who created you and me and created this world to be a a, a world that brings new life, and that through his spirit, the spirit of his son, Jesus, has a whole new opportunity for us to see new life spring forth in, in people who are struggling in their sin and in spiritual death, and we can celebrate the newness of life, and it brings hope and joy to us as we see God transforming hearts and lives around us. As we grow in character and maturity in Christ, God uses us and our relationships with one another to demonstrate his love and his mercy to the world around us. See, church health and church growth are really two sides of the same coin. Discipleship and evangelism are two sides of the lifestyle and the attractiveness of what it means to be a part of Christian community. And that's why we introduced what we are calling our Real Life Together commitment. And we're going to talk more about that. We wanted to introduce it to you in this series. Uh, we're thinking at this point it'll be something that we'll bring back in the new year as we move towards our annual meeting in January. And we'll be inviting everyone to consider how they might make a, a more formal commitment to be a part of the faith covenant church here. And, and the way we would see that happening is to attend church on Sunday mornings, but also help make Sunday morning happen. It takes a lot of people uh, to host church. And if we wanna be a church that does hospitality well, we think that if this is your church and you're a regular attender here, You can help us make Sunday morning special for all people and especially guests. Be in a small group. As we're talking about this morning, we need that smaller intimate place where we are known personally and we can grow in our faith in ways that we can't when we're just in the larger church setting. Serve on at least one serving team. God wants to use your gifts and the experiences and the abilities he's given you to be a blessing to others. And if you want to grow in your faith, you need to be serving in order to see how God wants to develop you and grow you. That's a part of your discipleship to Jesus, not just us trying to get you to serve the institution of the church. And finally, of course, support the church financially. We talked about that last week, the third rail of preaching. (laughs) the disciples had all things in common and they shared all the resources because they ultimately believed that they belonged to God and God had simply given us these gifts to be stewards of his gifts to share with one another. See, our call is not to win souls for Christ. Only God can do that. Our call is to follow Jesus and to be his disciples, to put his word into practice in our own lives so that as we disciple the people who are already here, The people who are already here become disciples of those who are yet to come. Because if we grow, the church grows. And if the church grows, then the kingdom of God grows. And if the kingdom of God grows, then God is glorified. And isn't that our ultimate purpose in life, is to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen? Let's pray.